Howdy, everyone. This is David Sanchez, and this is episode 35 of the Riffs or Die podcast for Thursday, April 22, 2021. As always, if you want to support the podcast, you can pick up some merch from riffsordie.com or become a Patreon subscriber at patreon.com slash riffsordie. Feel free to write in. The email is podcast at riffsordie.com. Feel free to write in with any questions, comments, or any wisdom or funny or crazy concert stories. Send them on over, podcast at riffsordie.com. For those of you that are avid listeners of the podcast, you may recognize this gentleman that I had on this episode for another swap cast here. The last time that Jonathan Munier was on the podcast, we talked quite a bit about falconry and a handful of other things, but this podcast is a little bit different. This one is very, very interesting, and I think it's an extremely important episode. If you like what you hear in this episode, please, please share it far and wide because there is some incredibly valuable information in here that I think you and your friends and family need to hear. There are some real truth bombs in this episode. I'm going to warn you up front that there are some things that may shock or surprise many people. Some of you listening won't be shocked or surprised by some of the information in here, but there are some real big bombs in this episode that you need to pay attention to. So this one is a bit lengthy, but I promise you it is well, well worth your investment in time. So everyone keeps telling us to listen to the experts, listen to the experts, listen to the experts. Well, ladies and gentlemen, today on this episode of the podcast, I'm speaking with an expert. John is a respiratory therapist, and his job has revolved around COVID-19 for the last year or so. He has a lot of insight and knowledge on the subject, and some of the things we discuss in here need to be heard, and this information needs to get spread around. So everyone urges you to listen to the experts. Here we go. We got an expert. Please enjoy this Swapcast episode with my buddy, John Munier. Let's go. I'm stoked that we can do another Swapcast here. Me too. Me too, man. Really stoked. It's been an interesting day. Like, nothing pretty much today, timing-wise, timed out like I wanted it to, but, you know, it seems to be almost every other day anyway like that, so. (laughs) But uh, what have you been doing today? What's the latest uh, Hawaii exploits Nothing terribly (laughs) Hawaii-centric. I mean, we went and hung out with some friends last night on the North Shore, watched the sunset from this place called Kaina Point. It's the furthest, most western point of Oahu. And uh, that was cool because, you know, out to the west from there, it's just ocean. Yeah. There's no obstruction of the sun going over the horizon. That was nice. Yeah, I'm a geographical idiot on a good day, so... Where geographically is that according to like the layout of the islands and stuff? Oahu is almost in the middle. It's just to the west okay. uh, of the center of the islands. Yeah. So these islands are only about 2 million years old. I, I think Oahu is only like 2 million years old. Hmm. Interesting. 
Yeah, I didn't realize they were that, I don't know, that young. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no dinosaurs here or anything like that because they were all extinct before this island existed. Huh, I'll be damned. That's interesting. Yeah, I had to look that up one day because I was thinking about dinosaurs. I was like, this looks like Jurassic Park. I wonder if any dinosaurs lived here. Wait a second. That was a long time ago. How old are these islands? <laughs> I looked it up. It said Oahu's like two or three million years old. Nice. Nice. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I've become kind of a, a little bit of a nut over that stuff the past um, I don't know, handful of years especially. And uh, when I was out in Wyoming, Vernal, Utah was just two hours south pretty much of where I was. And they have that cool like dinosaur national monument there. And uh, that's, the, yeah. that's where they have that enclosed cliff. They built a building around it, and they've got all those dinosaur fossils, like, all in that one cliffside. It's pretty cool. Have you ever been there before? No. It sounds awesome, though. Yeah, yeah. Whenever you uh, end up back in uh, Colorado, I don't think it, that would be too far of a drive for you. You should check it out sometime. Which part of Wyoming is it? Um, it's actually in Utah. It's... Um, oh, okay. So, like, when I was staying in Wyoming, I was staying in Rock Springs... And Vernal, Utah was just about two hours kind of south of that, roughly. Okay, yeah, it's, it's got to be within 10 or 12 hours of Denver. It, well, let's just put it this way. From Rock Springs to Denver, it's only about a five to six hour drive, depending on traffic. So, yeah, it'd be a good drive cool. for you sometime. Yeah, I'm considering going out to Utah when I visit Denver again. I'm going to be going out to Denver for a few weeks in June. Okay. And then heading back out here, so. Nice, nice. You should hit me up then, because I'll be back out there again uh, starting early June. Oh, nice. For how long? Uh, for about three months. Oh, cool. Yeah, I'll definitely see you when I'm there. Yeah, yeah. I found out uh, four or five days ago-ish that um, I was going to be accepting um, an assignment again at the place that I was at last in Rock Springs. So, yeah, I'm going to be going out there again for a few months as circumstances have it, so. Okay, cool. I'll definitely run into you. We'll have to meet up, get some food or something. Yeah, yeah, for sure. No, it'd be a lot of fun. Other than that, man, yeah, today I've just been going and uh, going around and, and shooting some more uh, hawk food. <laughs> so uh thinking probably sometime next month I'll be getting probably a, a baby kestrel. Like one of the easiest ways to get food for baby uh, hawks and falcons is to go around and with dust off the old pellet rifle and, uh, you know, shoot some starlings and house sparrows and stuff since they're invasive anyway. Stock up the freezer some. And do you literally just do it with pellet gun or is it with a shotgun? A uh, pellet gun. Yeah, because, okay. um, yeah, you definitely want to do it with a pellet gun because you can buy some platinum or basically like non-lead-based pellets. Mm -hmm. Most of your shotgun and other stuff, you know, ammo wise is going to be lead based and birds can get lead poisoning and die like really fast if they um, were to ingest a, a pellet on accident and stuff. You see a lot of bald eagles and a lot of um, some of these raptors going to um, rehab centers and dying a lot of, uh, of lead poisoning from lead shot. So to be on the safe side, we usually use like platinum or some other form of um, pellets just to like I said, just to keep that risk down. But um, sure. So, and uh, before I forget, this would be a good time since we're kind of semi on the subject anyway. I told you before I had a brain fart the last time we talked. Yeah. When we were talking about the difference between hawks and falcons and stuff. And I have to uh, go ahead and throw in 
that I was an idiot and <laughs> I was uh, just for whatever reason I had a senior moment or whatever and um, for whatever reason when, when, <laughs> when we were talking about uh, the differences and I was talking about how Falcons like kill and dispatch their prey whenever they break uh, bird's necks or whatever for whatever reason I kept using the word sear in like beak like interchangeably and I don't know how I didn't catch it or whatever when we were kind of going back and forth on the screening process of, you know, for editing the episode. But basically, like, the sear is part of the beak. It's like the upper part of the beak, and it's like the fleshy part where, like, their nose holes are. Um, And so, yeah, they they dispatch it with the pointy hook part of the beak, not the sear because the sear is actually the fleshy part of the beak. But anyway, for whatever reason... I was an idiot whenever we were talking about that, and it, it's been bugging me ever since. And I have to just go ahead and correct myself because I'm, you know, a douche sometimes. So <laughs> the air has been cleared nah. <laughs> officially. Yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, man. Other than that, just been trying to um, stay afloat and keep on keeping on. You know, I don't know what's what's been the latest with you, other than uh, you know hanging around Hawaii. Well, I've been getting in a lot of hot water and ruffling a lot of feathers lately. No bird pun intended. (laughs) But uh, things that I've been posting on social media uh, regarding lockdowns and vaccinations and medical tyranny and uh, just the double think and cognitive dissonance that is so pervasive today. I've been making a lot of people very upset Mm. by pointing these things out. And uh, that's a big reason I wanted to talk to you because you have a career in the medical field. Yep. Yep. So can you fill people in on your background in the medical field? Sure. Sure. Yeah. It's, um, it's about a 16 year background. It'll be 16 years this year. Um, I, uh, I'm a respiratory therapist and for those that don't really know what a respiratory therapist is or for someone who has heard of it, but don't really know too much about the profession, it's basically, I don't even know if the profession technically is even 100 years old yet. I mean, it's still semi-new in comparison to, obviously, doctors and nurses and other modalities. But uh, what a respiratory therapist does is they're the ones that are the breathing experts. They're the breathing specialists. So the, the best way I can think to describe it is the thing that they're most well-known for we're most well known for is like giving breathing treatments, nebulizers and stuff like that. But in reality, Mm -hmm. even though that's one of the things that we end up doing the most, it's really the least most important thing that we do. The most important thing where we kind of shine is in the intensive care units of pretty much any Mm -hmm. age demographic. And we're the ones that are really responsible for working with uh, pulmonologists and other doctors in managing ventilators making sure that patients are breathing okay. And we're also in a lot of places responsible for putting in airways, you know, like the endotracheal tubes. Uh, We also, in a lot of places, manage, you know, trachs uh, for people that have tracheostomies. You know, we draw um, arterial blood gases to determine how patients are ventilating and oxygenating. In the better places to work, we are very involved in the decision-making process is for how patients' breathing overall is is managed, which, as you've kind of implied um, <laughs> during the last year, has has, <laughs> has kind of been relevant. <laughs> you know, 
Yeah, yeah. Your specific field of expertise is incredibly relevant to what's been going on. Sure, sure. With uh, the whole COVID thing. And that's the number one reason I wanted to talk to you. Mm -hmm. I don't know anybody else that specializes so acutely in the topic at hand. Yeah, yeah. So that's just a general background of what the profession is, what it's responsible for in, in a very generic layman type terminology. Sure. Um, mm -hmm. All that being said, so the first, I don't know, roughly 10 to 12 years of my career, I actually specialized in working with babies. So I, I was predominantly working in uh, level three NICUs um, with sick, premature, all the way up to term infants. Uh, you know, I mean, the littlest babies that I was that I was taking care of at times um, were as premature as 22 weeks. So, I mean, they, you know, fit, wow. fit in the palm of your hand. Yeah. You know, all the way up to, you know, 10 to 12 pound behemoth infants, you know, full-term infants. Mm -hmm. So, and I also occasionally did a neonatal pediatric transport, air and ambulance. So, I also at times would transport babies and kids um, via ambulance, helicopter, uh, sometimes, very occasionally, I think I only ever, only ever went on like maybe one fixed wing, which is airplane, you know, transport. Yeah. Um, but you know, I mean, I I have a pretty extensive neonatal pediatric background, and then I branched into sleep medicine for uh, testing people for sleep apnea and titrating them to figure out what kind of pressures and settings they needed for their CPAP machines and all that kind of stuff, and. Um, and then the pandemic hit and, uh, you know, said, screw you, you don't need to do sleep anymore <laughs> because basically like um, the, the lab that I worked in, along with many, 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 many other sleep labs across the country, whenever they decided to go way overkill and shut down elective procedures nationwide, guess what they consider sleep studies, even though it immensely helps uh, patients quality of life, uh, you know, you're not going to die from having sleep apnea like instantly overnight. So they're like, sure, uh, we're just going to shut down sleep labs for a bit. And, you know, I was no exception. They, um, at the time they tried reabsorbing me and the other people that worked in the sleep lab that I did into the other hospitals in the health system that I work for. But the problem was, is because they shut down all these elective procedures, it cut down on hospital patient loads so much that there was barely work for their normal staff respiratory therapists that work in the hospital all the time to even work, let alone having extra people to try and work there, you know? So right. rather than wait around and, um, you know, try and just kind of wait and see how much extra shit was going to hit the fan, so to speak, I was just like, well, I can't justify sitting around and waiting for things to happen. Um, I'm going to try the travel gig and that has opened a new can of worms in my life and, uh, opened up a whole, um, I don't know, just cluster of, <laughs> of just, I don't know, a frustration of, of a year's experience of just seeing just how completely, you know, for lack of better terms, fucked, you know, everything is across the country right now, unfortunately. You know, I, I guess I should also say real quick, too, before we get deeper into this conversation, that I am sure. speaking strictly for myself here. 
Like this is yes the these these experiences and and just observations that I have seen over the last year, they are my experiences, my observations, and I'm not speaking for anybody else. There's going to be a lot of people that are going to have a lot of varied thoughts, opinions, and experiences over the last year, especially working in healthcare. It just is. Um, sure. But, you know, I've talked to many, many other travelers during my travel assignments, and a very common theme has popped up, <laughs> you know, during all of this. And, and what's that? Uh, basically that... You know, the the disease is, is very real, so I should also lead off by saying I'm not one of those people that doesn't believe it doesn't exist, because obviously I do, because I've seen it <laughs> a, a lot. Um, of course, of course. It's a very real thing. I mean, it's a serious bug. Mm -hmm. I mean, people have been very sick from it, but I don't know, in no way, shape, or form do I think that the world should have been shut down over it. You know, I mean, I... I, I think that there's a lot of things that were very mishandled during a lot of this and could have been handled so much better, but for whatever reason, they weren't. And, um, you know, it is what it is. But all that being said, what aspect of this do you kind of want to touch on first that you're kind of curious about? Well, I've got a few things that I would love to know because I, I've done plenty of research myself, but I'm not a medical professional. So I wanted to to get your two cents on a few things. I have a few questions that I wrote down. All right. But, you know, for starters, people that listen to my podcast already know where I sit with <laughs> my feelings on lockdowns and, and the overreaction versus the problem here. But a big thing that I don't hear anyone from the CDC or the WHO or government or pharma or anybody, I don't hear them talking about nutrition or anything that you can do to prevent catching COVID in the first place. Yeah. can I, I, I've done some research. I believe I know some of the answers to these things, but I would like to know from you, who has a medical degree and works in the field, what are some things that people can do to avoid catching COVID-19 in the first place? Well, really, I mean, honestly, the same thing that you do to uh, increase your immunity and keep yourself from... Um, catching any bug in any place, you know, which is, you know, take a damn multivitamin for Christ's sake. Um, you know, I mean, upping your vitamin D and your zinc intake is going to help out a lot. I looked into yep. some of the, the studies that have been mentioned on, you know, like Rogan's podcast and, um, for, you know, other doctors and stuff that he's had on the show. And there, mm -hmm. there is a very big common denominator, you know, for patients that have been deficient in vitamin D, especially that a lot of those are the, were the main patients that were the ones that were struggling the most in a lot of critical care, you know, ICU type cases. Yeah. You know, all that being said, I mean, it, if you take a multivitamin exercise, just eat healthier in general, you know, eating cleaner, you know, right. it's, it, I do a hundred percent agree with you in that. It's very sad that so many people in this country, and especially in your small town, rural, you know, kind of areas. I can't ever pronounce that word right. Rural, rural. <laughs> um, it's one of those words that it, it always fucks with my head to try and pronounce. But anyway, um, especially people in, in rural areas, <laughs> they don't have a lot of basic nutritional like education and health education. Sure. 
I don't think we any of us do really. Public education system doesn't teach you jack shit other than eat lots of bread, <laughs> eat an apple once a day, eat lots of meat, sugar is fine, uh, you know. Well, no, sugar is bad, but here's a soda machine. Right. Yeah. Well, and and uh you remember learning about the food pyramid and stuff. I mean, like honestly, yes. honestly, they've debunked a bunch of stuff with the whole food pyramid deal and stuff too if you do some basic yeah. research into that also, but um, to answer your question, I mean, those are the basic things that you can do. If you really, if you're really that worried about getting sick anytime ever, not just during whenever there is a you know a bug that's being publicized and you know just basically forced in our face twenty four seven like this has been like the last year. I mean, the best thing you can yep. do for yourself is to cut out the the crap. You know, your, your processed refined sugars and Anything that has a bunch of stuff on a label that you can't pronounce, cut it out. Right. And uh, eat better. And, yeah, take a multivitamin, take some extra vitamin D, you know, about 5,000 IUs, been the common denominator from the research that I've done, and go from there. I mean, that's about as good of a start as you can get. And, you know, I mean, that's great practice every day of any year of any decade, any time. Yeah. I mean, not just whenever a quote unquote pandemic is happening. You know, so. Yes, I agree. Yeah. One thing that I've, uh, you know, I did a lot of research on vitamins and supplements and stuff to take to prevent or, you know, get rid of COVID should it uh, infect me. But in my findings, and I spent hours and hours researching this stuff, and I've been taking. Uh, supplements recently and I I sleep better, I have more energy and I don't get sick. I haven't gotten sick yet. I feel better in general. And what I've been taking is zinc, quercetin, glutathione, pregnenolone, DHEA, and vitamin D and K2. Vitamin D3 and K2. Yeah, I mean, a lot of those other ones, to be 100% honest with you, I, I haven't even really encountered a whole lot on on what research I've done about it as well. But all that being said, your your basic, I mean, as long as you take a decent multivitamin and your D3 and increase it a little bit. And, you know, for some reason, it's kind of interesting that they've noted in a lot of uh, studies that really, I mean, like an increase in vitamin C really hasn't helped a whole lot, even though vitamin C is like, has been your kind of go-to vitamin supposedly anytime there's you know anytime they say you take extra vitamin c you've got a cold whatever uh interestingly yeah, an uh, immune booster yeah yeah exactly yeah i mean it's the most well-known like immune system booster but they have said that it hasn't really made a whole lot of difference when it comes to to covid but at any rate that's the best i can answer that question with and it sounds like you know i from listening to a couple of your past episodes especially the last one you know, you're on the right track with a lot of that. So that's a lot of the same stuff I've heard. Okay. Oh, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I'm not wrong about everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so one thing that my research led me to was that uh, the supplement I'm taking called quercetin, in combination with zinc, what the quercetin does is it helps get the zinc into the cells. Like the zinc has a much, much easier time getting into your body's cellular infrastructure with the quercetin. Mm. Something about it, it like opens up a pathway for the zinc to make it in easier. So that's why I've been taking it in conjunction with zinc. And even the the quercetin, even just on the bottle, 
if you knew nothing else about it, it says right there that it like helps the immune system, helps like fight off colds, helps promote healing and uh, respiratory health. So even if nothing else, it, it still sounds beneficial. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm I. Most of that stuff. Let's just put it this way: most of that's kind of stuff that you're going to take. It's not going to hurt you. You know what I mean? There, there's anything right. that you take extra for the most part, usually that is somewhat or even you know semi naturally already produced by the body. If you're if you're going to mm-hmm. take more of it, most of the time, unless you just take it in ridiculous quantities, it's not going to hurt you. So it it sure. at worst, it's not necessarily going to hurt you. You know, it, it can help you. But all that being said, I mean, there's there's still so many things that I guess to kind of finalize my thought on this whole subject in particular is that it's been astounding to me that there's been such a lack of that kind of information. But there's been so much misinformation with everything in general and literally i've i've worked i see i've worked in of course indiana um i've worked in michigan i've worked in ohio worked in kentucky i've worked in wyoming and i've worked in montana pretty much across the country and not one hospital that i've worked at has done anything the same way i mean everybody mm. everybody has has done things differently, treated their approach to everything from PPE to their, you know, different policies that they have and how they're going to deal with certain things in the hospital. Every place has done things differently for the most part. And I've never felt like I've been misled or just ill-informed so much, even as the person that's taking care of people that are afflicted by this and even having had it myself so much in my career, you know, in 16 years. It's really been surprising to me just just how much different crap has changed and been either inaccurate or not, you know, just I it's it's blown my mind. It really has. Um yeah, and a lot of the experts have said things in the past that they've done a complete 180 on and then they do another 180 on it. It it's really bizarre like you know, we're finding out that vitamin D, it's ancient knowledge that vitamin D is good for your immune system. Yeah. But at the beginning, they're telling everybody, stay inside, lock your doors, don't go out in the sunlight. Yeah. Don't go outside to exercise. Exactly. And, and it's very counterintuitive considering you need sunlight to process and create vitamin D. <laughs> yes. You know? Yeah. And then, you know, you got people like Anthony Fauci telling everyone, uh, you know, masks are just symbolic at this point. We don't need to wear masks. And then a couple months later, he's telling everybody you need to put on two of them. Yeah, yeah. Well, like there, there's. I, I agree with you that there's this weird absence of linear thinking. There's no like road that everything kind of sticks on. Everything's just out in the weeds, and you and you gotta. Unfortunately, you gotta spend a lot of your your resources and time as an individual to research and figure out what is actually going on because nobody on the television, nobody in government, nobody that's an official expert is giving you the information cut and dry for you to have an idea of what's going on. It's, it's really crazy. Yeah. It's very chaotic. Yeah. And, and the hardest thing about all of it too, in a lot of cases, especially for, you know, healthcare workers, 
you know, like myself. And the thing that was hardest for me to discern in the very beginning is that, you know, they're listing the symptoms of all this stuff, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, if you go through the list of symptoms, it's the exact same list of symptoms for the common flu and a lot of other pathologies. And, yes, you know, that, that was the hard. So I'm sitting there thinking like, okay, well, <laughs> how the hell am, am I supposed to feel like I might or might not have this? Or if someone asks me, you know, what they, if they think they, I, how, what am I supposed to tell them? I mean, it's like, cause at first, you know, it's not like they were able to, to test people as, as widely as, as they are now. And the thing is, is still for the most part, you know, they're not going to really be able to tell you or do a whole lot for you unless you're in such respiratory distress that you need a, a higher modality of, of breathing assistance. But I mean, the, the treatment for it, for the most part, is still going to be the same as what you would treat yourself or how you would take care of yourself if you had the flu. I mean, hydrate, take some you know over-the-counter stuff to keep your temperature down, try and keep your, uh, your temperature in check, because having a 102-degree fever for a week or two is not good, ob- <laughs> obviously. Yeah, um, right. But, I mean, uh, there's not really a whole lot extra that, you know, especially in the beginning, that that people were going to be able to really get a whole lot of benefit from even going to the hospital initially, you know, when, when all this stuff even hit and that kind of then transitions and a little bit of how they, we were doing a lot of things wrong initially that from a respiratory therapy standpoint, didn't make any sense to me whatsoever. Whenever I found out what they were doing in Italy and New York, especially whenever all this stuff started and how they were treating patients. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, I think a lot of it has, is very sad that things got that way because of all the extra fear that was created over all of this. If things would have been a lot more linear and there had been a lot more of an educated, informative approach instead of all you ever hear is wear a mask and stay six feet apart, I think that there would have been a lot more practitioners, particularly doctors, and that would have been a lot more apt to have treated a lot of people more appropriately in diagnosing and then, you know, formulating their treatment plans than what was done initially. It's, uh, there's a lot of, you know, like when, whenever they said they were going to need all those extra ventilators and all that stuff at the very beginning, um, mm-hmm. Well, first of all, I guess I should ask, is, is this a good time to transition into that? Or did you have something else to, that you wanted to transition to next? No, that, that's fine. Yeah, we can, we can let it flow to wherever it goes naturally. If there's a lull, I have a few other questions I would okay, love cool. to ask you, but we might cool, get yeah, to them naturally. So, so I'll transition to this in that I could not imagine how, if they were doing the things step by step, how you're kind of normally supposed to treat patients that come in showing respiratory distress and things typically of that nature. Mm-hmm. I couldn't fathom how they could use that many ventilators at one time and how we were really going to need that many extra vents unless they were just throwing people right. on ventilators because that's what how they were planning on like treating people as soon as they even presented with remotely any symptoms that looked like COVID. 
And wouldn't you know who won the pony? <laughs> mm-hmm. Whenever I first started doing the travel stuff, more and more other travel therapists that I talked to, I started kind of getting confirmation of a lot of my, I don't know, worst suspicions. Okay. In that, you know, basically, I even heard it with my own ears in a couple of ERs that initially, before they had a lot of knowledge of what was going on, especially, I mean, there were ER docs that I heard say, well, you know, if a patient comes in presenting anything like this, then you really just want to intubate them and put them on a ventilator so you don't have to deal with the extra exposure. And I'm sitting there thinking, how can you do that? You know, you can't, you can't approach things that way. Like if someone comes in with a cough and a slight shortness of breath and they're just requiring like a two liter nasal cannula flow, just a little bit of oxygen through, you know, a nasal cannula in her nose or something like you can't go straight from that to like intubating people. Like that's, that doesn't make any sense at all from a respiratory standpoint. Mm-hmm. But lo and behold, that's, that's what was being done in a lot of instances. I mean, right. Some of these people were, were coming in and presenting with some degree of shortness of breath and, Initially, what they were so worried about was they were worried about putting all these people on non-invasive ventilation modalities like high-flow nasal cannulas and BiPAPs and CPAPs and stuff. And they were so worried about the particulates being spread through the air and people getting you know, infected that they were just wanting to intubate people right off the bat, which creates a closed-loop system you know, and keeps those particulates from being spread as easily. So they were less afraid of getting sick from treating these patients coming in. And it's very unfortunate. And um, just like I said, from a respiratory standpoint, when I heard all this initially, I was just like, anytime you do extra work or put in an airway that is invasive and put in extra pressure into people's Mm -hmm. lungs that doesn't need to be there, you're creating a lot of extra risk for secondary infections and lung trauma. Um, you know what they call like barotrauma and stuff. I mean, you know, right. anytime you, in, you, you put those things in place, you're creating inflammation in someone's lungs. So if you're creating inflammation sure. when someone isn't inflamed enough already to need that modality of therapy then you could potentially easily expedite the severity of their pathology and illness to the point where you might just expedite what may not actually even happen in the first place. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's why all that stuff from, from a respiratory therapist standpoint didn't make any sense to me. And, you know, I mean, it kind of got confirmed whenever I, you know, I, there were traveling therapists that were in New York working, which, by the way, I'll just casually mention that um, I was supposed to go to New York for an eight-week contract, and I got canceled along with thousands of others of contracts, and I can go into that here in a minute also as another segue. Sure. But but I didn't end up going because, like I said, my contract got canceled. But later, other traveling therapists that I worked with, I mean, they were telling me that there would be nights where they would go out and they would have like 50 ventilator patients, like all to themselves. Wow. Like that they would have to try and, and check 50 different patients, 50 different ventilators. And that's 
all, pretty much impossible. <laughs> like, I mean, basically, if you could get one vent check in, like if you could check a patient's ventilator one time with that many patients throughout a night, like that's about all you can do. So, in other words, what I'm getting at right. is there were a lot of people being intubated, put on a lot of these vents and stuff that probably didn't need to be. And, you know, without being accusational, I guess, um, because the last thing I want to do is indict or make anybody else look bad or anything. I just, all, all I'm trying to emphasize here is that this could have been handled so much better. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah, of course. And I'm on the same page with you. I'm not trying to indict anyone mm-hmm. uh, specifically unless they deserve it. But uh, that's not the point of what I'm speaking up about or the point of what I'd like to get into with you. Mm-hmm. I'd like to speak more about uh, the general issues that are in play right now on the chessboard. Yeah. Because I don't want to get too into the weeds about he said this, she said that, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, th- there's some very real factual information that we can point to on the table, and we don't need to get into specifics about some of these certain things. So. I'm completely behind what you're saying. You know, cool. you're not trying to yeah. be accusatory or any of that. I, I totally understand. Sure. Yeah. And I'm just, I'm just relaying. And the point I'm trying to make with a lot of this stuff is that all of these things initially, at least were contributing to a lot of these, you know, supposed death counts. You know, I'm not even, shouldn't even say supposed a lot of these death counts, you know, like, right. You know, there's, there's a lot of people that probably, did die that probably necessarily shouldn't have, you know, whenever all this initially happened. Now, in everyone's in the healthcare community's defense, they figured out pretty quick that there were a lot of mistakes made with a lot of that mm-hmm. and have since gone back to a more conventional treatment method, which has helped a lot of people. I mean, they kind of stopped after a short amount of time there initially, at least. They stopped doing a lot of those kind of like what they would call you know, these preventative like intubations and stuff and and went like once they found out especially that the virus wasn't as severe as what they initially thought you know they started going back sure. to the more like non-invasive you know ventilatory methods and that was very good i mean that really should have been done from the very beginning right well i mean in their defense i guess you could say at the very beginning there was people saying that this shit was going to wipe out like 50% of mankind. And, and there was a lot of fear, a lot of scare tactics employed in the very beginning to scare the living shit out of people. Yeah. And, and, you know, as time goes on, we keep learning more and more that even though, yes, people die. And I do feel very bad for people that have lost loved ones and, and for people that have passed away from it. It is real. But... The more time goes on, the more it seems like, okay, this was like so far blown out of proportion. It's becoming more obvious every single day. Totally agree. And to kind of branch off to the next thing that that I kind of briefly mentioned earlier was, so when my contract got canceled, yeah, you remember initially whenever everybody was talking about how they were doing everything um, from bringing back like retired nurses to um, also bringing back, you know, other uh, people that hadn't been in healthcare for a while, but their licenses were expired and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It was like the expendables. They're trying to get the A team back together, you know? Yeah. 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 I recall. So 
this was the the tipping point for me that made me really question a lot of the stuff that was that was being reported in the media and what I had heard from a lot of people initially or a lot of news sources especially. So I, I got called about four days before I was supposed to go to New York and work. And I was told by the recruiter that I was going through at the time that my contract had been canceled along with like thousands of others pretty much. And I was told that the reason why uh, my contract and all these other ones were being canceled was because the health system that I was going to be contracted with no longer felt like they needed the help because about 80% of the patients they had were dying and they didn't feel like they needed all the extra help anymore. What? <laughs> I, will let you what? I, I will let you try and wrap your head around that for a minute. Um, it took me a long time and I still can't wrap my head around it because obviously I don't have to tell you that there are multiple lines of logic that are wrong with that statement. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. It, it basically makes no sense whatsoever. Right. Basically what, what it, what it said to me was, I don't want to pay for all these people to come in anymore and pay for extra help. Um, that's what it screamed to me. And I felt like that was very, very, very sad and very unfortunate, um, for not only like, you know, the potential patients that, you know, really were dying or, you know, <laughs> were only getting seen once a shift because, you know, some poor bastard therapist had 50 vents they had to check, you know, or whatever. Right. But yeah, but <sighs> you still have to take care of people until they die. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you, you still have to have people there to, to account for them and, and take care of them, even if they are declining. And there's something else to be said for the fact that if I had been one of those healthcare workers that were being slammed from the very beginning of all this. And I was like, a, say like a New York resident that had been working in one of these hospitals that were being, slaughtered you know from the very beginning and i was told that help was coming like ex even more help was coming and then i was told mm -hmm. later that uh yeah all that help that su was supposed to be coming like we decided we didn't need that anymore like yeah while you're on your deathbed fighting off the grim reaper yeah, yeah well not not only not from a patient standpoint but from the from the people working in the hospitals too like if i was being told yeah right they want your help yeah, too yeah yeah i mean even if someone told me that okay i only have to check 40 ventilators <laughs> this this round instead of 50 because i've got some somebody that's coming in that's willing to help like that would make me I can't even tell you how that would make me feel knowing that I was being even more thrown under the bus by a place that I was working for, you know, potentially. Right. And the thing is, is a lot of those states, including New York, you know, have operated a lot under state grants. So, I mean, a lot of the hospitals didn't even necessarily have to pay directly for a lot of the extra help they were getting because they were state government funded contracts. So. Sure. They're really, in a lot of instances, weren't really a need for a lot of that help being canceled, which is even worse. But, and, and the other thing I kept hearing too, was that was happening a lot around the state. So even while the media was reporting that, 
they needed so much help that they were bringing grandma and grandpa out of retirement <laughs> to come, you know, and just giving him a license so they could come back and help out. At the same time, you're also being told that oh, we don't actually need that help anymore. Like, which one is it? Yeah, you know, like which which one is it? It can't be both. And you know, I heard from from other travelers too that had other assignments that they weren't busy at all in a lot of hospitals in New York, like in some hospitals. So, like I said, it, it's it's just like you know what what do you believe? I mean, it's a little bit of everything apparently. Um, but anyway, so. That was the other thing that the main thing initially that, that made me really start to question and made me decide initially that I wasn't going to believe anything from the media or anywhere else unless, you know, I had actually the only the only thing I was going to believe was what I had observed or heard from other people that had been working in these environments, you know, sure. um, and you know, the list goes on as far as, you know, increasing my skepticism. Like uh, when I was working in Ohio, the place I was working at there, you know, they were talking about how they were getting a lot of their um, COVID case counts. And mm-hmm. you know, how much research have you done on that? I've heard some very, very sketchy things about uh, how they count COVID deaths and COVID numbers. Yep. And, uh, you know, the things about Hospitals getting gigantic kickbacks because they called it a COVID death as opposed to a, a, a motorcycle accident death. Yeah. Things like right, that. Right, right. Now, all those are true. They're true. <laughs> um, wow. Yeah. Yeah, they're true. So, yeah. And you just say it so so bluntly and coy, but, you know, for a regular person that's not in the field to bring up something like that, you get called a tinfoil hat conspiracy theorist. No, I get it. You're out of your mind if you think that uh, hospitals get paid extra money to call it a COVID death or that... They would call some guy who got decapitated on a motorcycle accident a COVID death because they get more money. You're just out of your mind. You're, you're, you're telling me that those instances are not just merely conjecture and conspiracy theory. Those are factual? Yeah, yeah. And so I, I can give you a couple of examples. Like, I mean, yeah, please. I mean, there's, there's people coming into the ER, you know, it's like a gunshot wound to the head. You know, they swab them. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, everybody, pretty much anybody that comes through an ER like for the last year, get swabbed for COVID. And the reason being is yeah. because of that extra reimbursement from the government, you know, with, with a actual COVID diagnosis. That's, right. that's real. I mean, I'm sorry it is. I mean, that's just factual. And so it just comes down to money. A lot of it comes down to money. Mm-hmm. You don't get extra government reimbursement if you, if you get patients in with like the flu, you know what I mean? Or any other diagnosis. Right. I mean, you just get basic normal insurance and government reimbursement for those patient stays. But the fact of the matter is, is that a lot of patients and administrations, a lot of patients were being swabbed for this. And there were also plenty of patients that I saw that really honestly didn't even need to be in the hospital. You know, I mean, they were on room air, which room air is the air you and I are breathing, no extra oxygen needed or anything, just kind of chilling. Right. Yeah, hanging out, you know, <laughs> in, in the hospital. Really, honestly, probably didn't even need to be. And there were people coming in. Like I said, occasionally you'd you'd hear of the you know someone would come in. They they would come in with a gunshot wound to the head. They'd swab them, and lo and behold, they're COVID positive. So you know, it was so they died from COVID, not from the bullet <laughs> through their brain. You know, and and the the it's it's all in the terminology. What what people don't understand about a lot of this is a lot of it is very terminology based. So. Yeah, died with COVID doesn't mean the same as died from COVID. Exactly, but 
they but if a person died and they died with COVID, then it still kind of gets interpreted as a COVID death. Sure. So there's not much distinguishing between the two. And it's just like with the with the case. Like what a lot of people don't understand about the word case is that case doesn't mean number of of people infected. Case means number of positive test results. So right. so so David Sanchez gets admitted to the hospital, right? And he's positive. Well, he gets swabbed eight to a dozen times in the hospital, and each of those swabs are positive until you finally get that negative one. Well, you count as eight to 12 positive cases. Holy shit, dude. These numbers are so... They're even more cooked than I thought. Yeah, and this this is happening... I mean, fairly nationwide. I mean, and, and if you ask if you ask doctors about it, if they're honest, they will tell you exactly what I've just told you. I mean, yeah, I've I've seen interviews with people who are fucking surgeons, people that work in the OR, work in the ER, work in the ICU. I've watched interviews with people that work in those fields, and they say exactly what you're saying to me. Yeah. I don't think that a bunch of you would just come together to to spread this nonsense. You guys are regular people. You guys aren't running media companies and trying to spread propaganda and fear. You guys are just regular people being asked about your experience. I, I have the inclination to believe you guys over CNN. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's true. I, I really wish it wasn't. And I really wish that it was very tinfoil hat-ish because, like, you know, the fact of the matter is, is I... I really, I don't know, it it astounds me, like I said, how much everything has kind of been, quote-unquote, here we go again, quote-unquote, legally skewed, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. Like, all this stuff is is common. It's right, it's out there. It's right up, it's right there for everyone to see. I mean, it's not, it's not considered forgery. It's not considered... um, any, any kind of dishonest reporting, any of that kind of stuff, I mean, it, it just is what it is right now. And so, mm-hmm. but a lot of people don't realize that they see, oh my God, fourth, uh, the case numbers went up by 10,000 a day or whatever. They automatically are led to believe, especially by the media, that that means 10,000 more people came down with the virus. That's the impression I was under, and I've done a lot of research. Yeah, yeah. And, and, <laughs> and felt like I was onto a lot of the, the, uh, the schemes here, but this is a revelation for me. So I'm really glad you brought this up. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's um, and once again, you're you're welcome to, and I encourage anybody. You know, if if I'm wrong about anything that I've <laughs> that I've actually seen or <laughs> heard, then I would I you know this is one of those things that you know I would I would love for someone to be like, no dumbass, you're wrong, because I would love to be wrong about these things. Like I really would. Sure. You know. Um, yeah, me too. Yeah, you know, I, I wish I wish, you know, that someone could uh wave a magic wand and just say that all the things of this last year were truly justified, but I can't get on that bandwagon. Not after a lot of the stuff that I've heard, you know, and 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 here's the thing too that I want to really emphasize also is that a lot of these spikes and stuff, I mean, the spikes are are legit to a certain degree. I mean, you know, whenever I worked in Montana, the spike there was was legit. Like that was the busiest I've ever been in all my 16 years working in healthcare. It was busy, and a big reason why, and a lot of what a lot of people aren't understanding in a lot of these situations too, is that 
lot of these areas that are getting spikes are because they're very in very impoverished areas with with low living conditions. And like where I was at in in Montana had Indian reservations close by. And I really feel for a lot of those people, especially because unfortunately, you know, and I'm not trying to be disparaging when I say this, but I don't think it's a revelation to many people that, you know, in a lot of these types of like Indian reservations and, and some of these other like, you know, inner city areas where there's a lot of people living uh, together in close proximity that you're going to see a lot more people sick. <laughs> and unfortunately, right. a lot of these people don't take care of themselves as well because they, they can't afford to. You know what I mean? And it's really unfortunate because a lot of the, the spikes in a lot of areas are attributed to the virus finally hitting those areas. And, you know, you get these massive spikes. And But here's the thing, like, it's not like these spikes last forever. I mean, the, sure. the these spikes last... They really like climb initially, they plateau, and they start to decline back to normal numbers within two to three months in a lot of these areas that, right. that, that spike. So, you know, people are getting their asses handed to them for a little bit, but it's, it's not like it lasts forever. And it's not taking away from the fact that a lot of people really have died, you know, from this, but... All that being said, once again, you know, if I've, I've talked to many other friends who are physicians and even some that are, you know, also pathologists and even like other people that I know who also have family members or know people who are virologists and, you know, they'd be, I mean, I don't, I don't, like I said, I don't want to get into to hearsay too much, but one common denominator of the people that I know personally is that none of them really truly agree that the extension to what they decided to do in reaction to all this was warranted. Not one of them that I know personally has said they should have shut down the restaurants or they should have shut everything down or whatever. Right. Yeah. I've never heard anyone say that actually. The only people that have said shit like that are uh, government really and, and and government sanctioned entities like CDC and WHO. Yeah. And, and even they seem to be giving up their charade and kind of saying like, yeah, we don't need to have lockdowns anymore. Yeah. For instance, one thing I find really fascinating is in Texas, Texas lifted all their mask mandates over five weeks ago. I think over six weeks ago now. They opened up everything, full capacity, all bars, all restaurants, baseball games, you name it. Everything's open, full cap, with no mask mandates. And their numbers have decreased uh, to about half. Yeah. Half as many infections and half as many deaths with no masks and everything opened up. Well, and, you know, being devil's advocate there a little bit too, mm -hmm. that doesn't necessarily mean that a lot of the places down there have stopped mandating people wear masks in their businesses and stuff too. Um, yeah, yeah, I totally understand. Yeah, and, yep. and don't get me wrong, I am not a huge believer in the overall efficacy of masks. I'm just not. Um, there's a couple things that keep, I don't know, nagging at me. And, um, you know, it's like I've talked to many of my friends about this and healthcare and non-healthcare workers alike. And the one thing that keeps bothering me about all of this is a lot of people that are stone throwing and, mass shaming and all that kind of stuff are the same ones that 
any other year of any other decade before this, you would have never seen give two turtle shits about wearing masks or doing really anything, you know, preventative. And right. the the fact of the matter is, is that there's still 50,000 people a year on average, roughly. I think that was the latest statistic that I read whenever I was doing my research from there's still an average of 50,000 people a year that die from the flu. I mean, that the flu doesn't just go away. I mean, like it's always been there. So, except for this last year, the flu didn't kill anybody. They were all COVID deaths. <laughs> well, and that's because that's what you get reimbursement for. Um, you know. Exactly. And yeah. um ain't that funny. Yeah, and and the irony with that too is um don't get me wrong, there's still plenty of, p- of places that were still testing for the flu. But they were only mm-hmm. testing for the flu if they were coming back COVID negative initially. And even then, there were a lot of places that just weren't testing for it anyway. Because, like, what are they going to really do for you? I mean, like, if you're COVID negative, then more than often, <laughs> what they're going to tell you is go home, hydrate, keep your temperature under their control, and best of luck to you. Yeah, get some sleep, drink some water. Yeah, exactly. There's not really much else they're going to really soup. be able to do for you. <laughs> Um, right. I mean, they, even if they confirm that you have the flu, the normal flu, I mean, it's, it's like, okay, here you go, (laughs) you know, and, uh, you know, hang out and enjoy yourself for however long it's going to take to get over this. But, right. But all that being said, it's just, um, I think that the most unfortunate aspect in a lot of this is like, okay, so how you're spinning this is that those 50,000 people a year on average, did they not merit the same quote unquote, (laughs) I keep saying quote unquote, same protections that all the people with COVID had? Like where was all this concern for those people? So, and we have five figures worth of people on average die a year from a certain virus. Yeah. That's not worthy enough, but all of a sudden six figures worth of people die and then everybody loses their shit and, you know, everybody has to wear face condoms, you know? So it's like, um, you know, I mean, that, that's been the biggest thing because I don't, I don't really deal with hypocrisy very well. I, that's not how my personality works. I've tried very hard throughout my life to own up to stuff and stay away from hypocritical stances. And it really bothers me how hypocritical so many things that have been done this past year have been. And that's just one of the many things that it's been hard for me to wrap my head around, you know, is, you know, you're basically saying that all the people that have died in (laughs) in years past weren't, weren't worth these precautions. So what makes all of this so extra special? You know, I mean, I, I don't want any extra people necessarily to die than what they have to either. But, you know, I mean, at the same time, people are going to die. I mean, they're, they die from car crashes every day. They die from cardiovascular disease, diabetes, obesity every day. And there's so many things that, you know, like alcohol, cigarettes, processed refined sugar. Don't get me wrong. If someone took away Little Debbie cakes, I would be the first one to be pissed. <laughs> All right. <laughs> My fat ass loves fudge rounds, zebra cakes, and Swiss cake rolls. But if you really wanted to solve a lot of the world's problems, especially in our country with obesity, 
the first thing you would do is you would outlaw processed refined sugar and you would force manufacturers to stop mass producing products with processed refined sugar. You would also stop cigarette production and you would stop alcohol production, not to mention half of the pharmaceutical FDA approved drugs that they mass produce that addict people to narcotics and painkillers that are legal. So right. All that being said, pick and choose your, your poison, I guess. Yeah, for sure. Everyone's talking about, you know, possibly having uh, mandatory face masks and then the talks of mandatory vaccinations, but no one's talking about mandatory jumping jacks or mandatory sit-ups or mandatory go outside and go for a walk in the sunlight for an hour. Yeah. There's no interest in that, you know, because I, I feel like the pharmaceutical industry has got the biggest lobby in Washington, D.C., and they are the number one money-making industry in America. And they're only interested in selling treatments. They're not interested in selling cures. And when they're the ones dangling the carrot in front of everybody's face saying, hey, you're going to need to use our product or else you're screwed. They're the ones offering the solution. Why would they go out hand in hand with CDC, WHO, government, and this, that, and the other in the media? Why would they go out and say like, hey, guys, you, you should do some free things that will make you healthier and less susceptible to diseases that will prevent you from needing our product. That's not in their best interest. So of course we don't hear about that stuff on television. And that's why I think podcasts and things like having a free and open internet are incredibly important because otherwise people can't have any access to this kind of information. Yeah. Yeah. And, and let's face it. I mean, COVID technically speaking, might have been deadlier than the common flu this past year. But eventually, it's going to be just like every other virus that we've ever encountered. You know, it might kill a little bit higher than normal people initially. Uh, but initially... Antibodies. Yeah. I mean, initially, people are going to build immunity to it just like everything else. But you know what people yep. aren't necessarily going to build immunity to is alcohol, cigarettes, those... Oh, so delicious. Double-decker fudge rounds. Oh, God. Love them so much. Um, you know, but All the fun stuff is bad for exactly. you. Exactly. And that, that <laughs> it's bad for you for a reason. You know, I mean, and I think the biggest problem with the preventative stuff is nobody really wants to hear that shit anyway for the most part. And that's the sad part is because, right. you know, there are things that you can do that take very little effort, but the other stuff requires work. And nobody wants to work, especially nobody wants to work to be healthy. No, it's much easier if you can just keep eating Doritos and Mountain Dew and get a vaccination, right? Right. And, and that's the other thing, too. I mean, I guess, you know, you mentioned vaccination again. And that's another thing that kind of gives me a tick, like, every time I, I hear it is, I don't know about you, but, like, when I get a vaccination... I like to get a vaccination and never have to get it again. <laughs> yeah, and one that protects you and truly makes you immune. Yeah. Like smallpox or measles, mumps. Measles or polio. Yeah. yeah. And granted, whenever you're a baby or whenever you're a kid, you have to have, you know, a three-shot series for measles, mumps, rubella, like the MMR and stuff. But Right. But, I mean, that's 
a little different. Like you get those three doses and you never have to get them again. That's a big difference between those and the influenza vaccine. Right. Because the flu vaccine, they come out with a new version every year because the virus keeps mutating and uh, they can never get ahead of the mutations. It's an impossibility. Right. And maybe I'm just totally ignorant, but I I feel like that may be the case with this new COVID vaccine, that it's going to constantly keep mutating and they'll never be able to get ahead of it. Am I completely off-based? No, no. What's going to end up happening with the COVID vaccine is what's going to happen with every other flu vaccine that they've manufactured all the years before this is eventually they're going to find the most common, like maybe one or two strains and they're just going to incorporate it. They're going to incorporate it into your standard annual flu vaccine, which once again, you know, technically speaking by definition, I guess you can call them vaccines, but they're really just boosters. You know what I mean? Like they're, yeah, like I said, if someone wants to argue this point with me, they're more than welcome. But most vaccines, you think, you know, like you said, your polio, your MMR, your smallpox, whatever, you know, all those things, you, you get them and then you're done. You have, you know, whatever. I mean, right. You build antibodies immediately after. Right. Correct me if I'm wrong, but in a typical traditional vaccine, they put a tiny bit of the thing they're trying to build immunity to in the vaccine and inject you with a small amount of it so that your body has a reaction to it and has the antibodies to fight it off when it encounters it again in the future. Correct. Am I right? Yeah, they put, they put, um, a very, very weakened and, or, you know, sometimes even dead like version of the virus into you so that your immune system can easily overcome it and know how to overcome it for whenever it encounters it next time. But that's why I was kind of holding out for say more like the uh, the Johnson and Johnson version of this vaccine because it was based more on that type of traditional technology. Um, you know, I've had people argue with me about the safety of the the mRNA vaccines and and I don't care. <laughs> like I'm going to wait and see what happens. That's all I'm doing is sitting and waiting, and, and I have a couple questions while I'm in the waiting room, and apparently that's very offensive to some people. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, the thing is, is I've already had COVID, so, you know, they were saying initially that, you know, immunity might only last up to 90 days. Well, what a lot of people don't realize is that they only said that because the studies that they were performing only were 90-day studies. So they only had 90-day increment study periods that they could go back and, and right. pull data from. Um, okay. They're finding now that a lot of people's natural immunity is lasting over a year. So I'm not in any hurry to get the damn thing, um, just me personally. you know, I would still honestly, even despite this negative press that the Johnson & Johnson vaccine has been getting lately – I would still probably mm-hmm. be more inclined to get that one than the mRNA ones just simply because it's based off of more traditional technology, number one. But number two, other than just those handful of blood clotting instances that people have... I mean, I still haven't seen overall to where the overall amount of negative reactions have been anywhere close to the number of the ones that the mRNA ones have been producing. Have you? I mean, have you done any research on that? Yeah, I mean, I've seen there are adverse reactions with all of the major manufacturers, new experimental vaccines, 
The Johnson and Johnson one, yeah, I know that the blood clot issue happened with what seven women, which is not a lot of people. But uh, I, I am very curious about this because we we just discussed how a traditional vaccine has a little bit of a virus in it so that your body can ward it off in the future. And just to clarify, the new experimental COVID vaccines, is that what they are? Do they have a little bit of COVID-19 in them or is it something else? I, you know, to be 100% honest, I don't, I don't really think the mRNA ones, they're not like that where you're putting in the actual virus. I think they're only putting in the antibodies, if I remember correctly, I may just be full of shit right now. That's really interesting. Yeah, I may just be full of shit on that now, but, you know, so I, you know, if someone wants to fact check me on that too, they're more than welcome. To be honest, I've done more research into the Johnson & Johnson vaccine just simply because, you know, it was based more on traditional methods and someone can correct me if I'm wrong on this too, but I'm I'm pretty sure that that vaccine has more of, of that type of technology than the mRNA ones, which... Like I said, if you want to look that up to clarify, feel free. But I don't think the mRNA ones are based off of that that technology. They're they're it's different, and and how they okay the way they go about increasing people's antibodies to the virus is is different. Like I said, I wish I knew a little bit more about how the mechanism of those work. But you know, to be a hundred percent honest, I have done enough research to be dangerous on them. And I, the, what research I've done, you know, without even needing for my personal satisfaction to dig even more, I just have decided that being as I already have the antibodies in place anyway, that I don't need that shit right now. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I wanted to wait until I, there was about another year's worth of experiences out there and data to, to pull from before I decided to do it for myself. Sure. Yeah, that's completely reasonable. And, and for some reason, uh, proceeding with that very conservative amount of caution is offensive to people. And <laughs> they think you're crazy for not running to the doctor to get it immediately. Now, medical professionals that have been on the front lines of this COVID thing the whole time, are you aware of tons of them getting COVID? Uh, you mean actual like nurses, RTs, like medical professionals getting yes. it? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Do they have like outrageous numbers of getting COVID? Yeah. I mean, it, it depends on a lot of places' policies, but, and this was another thing. That's, that's actually a good question because, like, this is another thing that I was observing as well. In that, uh, you know, there were hospitals, like one in particular that I worked at, that they weren't requiring their nursing staff initially working on the COVID floors, they weren't requiring them to wear PAPRs or N95 respirators. They were only requiring them to wear, you know, a surgical mask and when they were dealing with patients. Right. And those patients were also being required to wear surgical masks too whenever they were being treated and whatnot. Okay. All that being said, a lot of those nurses ended up getting COVID. (laughs) And someone might say, well, you know, obviously if a nurse is going in there and they're not having to stay six feet apart, you know, from the patient and blah, blah, blah. Well, that whole six foot distance thing was more or less the standard generic like length of distance that they were telling people just to kind of be on the safe side, assuming everybody in a room or place was wearing masks in general. All that being said... People's droplets don't just 
float six feet and then they just drop to the ground. Like <laughs> no. when people when people sneeze, it can go you know, a long way. Long, long way. Thirty feet away. Yeah, or thirty, something. forty yeah. feet, you know. Um, it can go a long way. Mm-hmm. So call me crazy, but Think about the beginning of the, whenever all this stuff hit. I mean, there were a lot of places, including like a place where my wife works. She, my, my wife is a respiratory therapist also. I mean, they were just requiring them to wear cloth masks initially. You know, I mean, they, they didn't even have to wear, you know, surgical masks initially. And that to me is nuts, you know, whatever. But I mean, like surgical masks and, and especially cloth masks, they don't do anywhere near what is being purported <laughs> um, right. and being promoted, I guess. The argument that I've had with people about this is that even the people that can't really, that they defend wearing like a cloth mask, for example, they can't defend it very much, but their biggest defense is, well, it's better than nothing. And, right, okay, well, yeah, I mean, I guess technically... But it's not really stopping much still, I mean, of anything. All you have to do is, you know, wear one of those cloth masks, stand back a little bit, blow towards a lit candle. And if you can blow out that candle or make that that flame waver, (laughs) uh, that should give you your answer on how effective cloth masks really are. And Yeah, absolutely. And um, go outside on a cold day to where you can, you know, you can see your, your breath whenever you breathe. And, you know, I, I remember when we were hunting one day, I was wearing one of those complete face masks, you know, to keep my face from freezing off. And, uh, sure. and I was breathing and I was sitting there. I was just like watching everything. <laughs> I was just like, this isn't doing anything at all. You know, it's just like, it was just cracking me up, you know, how, how that amount of, of just common sense has escaped everyone for the most part this last year. Yeah, I think people are are ignoring how incredibly small virus particles are. Like microns. I mean, microns in size. And yeah, I mean, between the stitching in my t-shirt, between one of those holes, you could fit, what, a quarter million virus particles (laughs) through one of those holes? Like, give me a break. A lot, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, technically you might... You it might be better than nothing, and you might be decreasing the overall amount of viral load that you're putting into the air, but not by near as much as what you think. And it's just like this might be faulty logic too, but like the way I look at it is like you want to have sex with a condom with a bunch of holes in it, and if you do, if you're not really getting the full benefit from it, then like I mean you still want to wear the condom what's the point (laughs) you know yeah that no that that's a good analogy that i've never heard or or thought of that's that's pretty good you know there there are places where they didn't have any mask mandates somebody left a comment on my instagram today a guy in brazil he said you know my state is the only state in brazil that did not have any mask mandates and guess whose state had the least amount of covid shit going on and, and had the the fastest decline in covid yeah <laughs> i was like dude i told him do tell yeah and he told me the more information he was like yeah the state where i live that didn't have any mask mandates we fucking beat covid faster than everybody else everywhere else that has lockdowns and mask mandates has way more brutal cases of yeah. it 
Same thing was uh, seen in Nicaragua. They didn't have any mask mandates, and they've got like the lowest numbers in Central America. And that's per capita, not just because Nicaragua is a small country. Yeah. So wouldn't it make sense that if the masks are just theater and they're not truly doing anything to prevent the spread of the virus, um, I'm just spitballing here, but correct me if I'm wrong, but wouldn't the removal of masks and just no one's wearing a mask, wouldn't that let more of the viral particles into the air, therefore infecting more people on a slight level and building antibodies n- more naturally and more readily? Well, that's that's one of the things I struggled with most. And one of the, the biggest debates I had with several friends, including ones that also work in healthcare, is if we were to just let things run its course or run their course, things might have initially been worse but the in the short term in the short term they they might they might truly have been i'm not disputing that but right natural immunity would have been in place much sooner the secondary and third and you know all these follow-up spikes that we've had in these different areas would have been it would have been very debatable whether or not those would have even happened to the degree anywhere near the degree that would have been that noteworthy right you know i mean <laughs> I yeah, I mean, common sense would tell you that basically that would have been the better route to go, and even more common sense would have told you that if the masks were doing what they were supposed to be doing, then why even shut anything down in the first place? Period. Yeah, that that was my big argument. I posted something about that online. People jumped down my fucking throat about it. Yeah, well, you know, just basically saying if masks are effective, why do we need lockdowns? Right. Which, you know, I mean, they've already been proven to be fairly ineffective because it's counterintuitive. Allowing people to be outside around each other is not going to spread this stuff. It's, it's just not. It's already been proven to not be. I mean, like, especially if you're out during the day, I mean, UV light kills the virus pretty quickly. Right. Well, and increase in vitamin D, like we talked about at the very beginning. Yeah. It's one of the best things you could do for your immune system. Well, and, and there were there were even places that were experimenting with um, UV light therapy to some degree down like endotracheal tubes. So they would like... Yeah, I heard about that. Yeah, they were, they were putting some of those lights down, you know, people's endotracheal tubes and, you know, decreasing a lot of the viral load that was in you know, people's airways and stuff, letting them heal up quicker and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Not to mention the fact that... Even before COVID, one of the things that a lot of hospitals would do to sanitize rooms is they would put these giant UV lights in the middle of these rooms and they would let them sit there for a while. And it supposedly is supposed to kill everything in the room, microbial wise. And a lot of hospitals that were recycling PPE, which that blows my mind how anybody can think that's logical also. But I mean, there's a lot of hospitals that were recycling N95 masks. And basically, after people would get done wearing them for an extended period of time, they'd throw them in these bags and they'd send them off to get sterilized. And all they're doing when they're doing that is basically dumping these masks out in the middle of a room with one of those UV lights going and, like, sterilizing these these, these N95 masks. And then they send them back to the hospital and does it be worn again. The only problem with that is that N95 respirators really require a nice snug fit to be effective at all. Otherwise there's no point in wearing one because if you don't have that seal and right. that fit, then you're not getting hardly any protection for the most part. 
Yeah, the filtration doesn't really exist. Right. So if stuff is seeping out of the sides, yeah, totally get it. So I'm N95s are what they require you, and Pappers are what they require you to wear. You know, whenever you're treating positive tuberculosis patients in negative airflow rooms, you know, I mean, <laughs> anyway, you know, it's just like I said, it's it's one of those things. There were there were so many forms of faulty logic going on with all this, and I. And they're just like, well, I mean, okay, if you want everybody to wear masks, fine, whatever. If that's your requirement for letting places stay open, then go for it. But there was there was never a reason to restrict, like, you know, restaurants, you know, all that stuff, especially outdoor venues. That's the dumbest thing that made no sense to me at all. Is like, why are you, why are you like, <laughs> you know, getting rid of these festivals and stuff that are outside? You know, so what if people are a little bit closer to each other? I mean, you're outside. And that's really why I feel this whole thing is about control and psychological warfare and making sure that the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. And uh, this is going to be used to try to implement some sort of a vaccination passport program. I, I think that that's where this all heads to. You know, if the dominoes keep falling in the direction they are, I think all this stuff is headed in that direction. And to point that out, that freedoms have been lost, that we're being manipulated, and that we are literally in the middle of a psychological war, and uh, we are under attack. Pointing that out, apparently to so many people, is offensive. Pointing that out, you are an uncaring, conspiracy theorist, idiot piece of shit. Yeah. And I, I dude, I, that's the reason why I was off Facebook for like eight months. Like when all this stuff went down, I was just like, I, I can't do this. Like I can't, I can't do this. Uh, I just could not get over all the faulty logic and involved in all of this stuff. So, right, you know, I mean, I, I got off of Facebook for about eight months. Um, you know, I kept Messenger open in case people needed to get a hold of me or whatever. But as far as no, I didn't want to be exposed to that anymore. And bottom line is, is that, look, I mean, an average of like three hundred thousand people a year die from cardiovascular disease and, and other secondary health issues. Mm -hmm. I mean, what what's the total count up to now? Have you even looked recently? Like, what are, the, what are they saying that the total death toll count is from this? I haven't even looked recently. From, from COVID yeah. or from, from COVID? I think they're saying it's around 500,000. Yeah, I, I think that was the last count that I heard as well, but that was a minute ago. I, I just didn't know if, if there was a new number now. <laughs> but, um, you know, here's the thing is, I can guarantee you that 500,000 people didn't just die from COVID during all this. There's, there's, there's no way. No, some of them were from a gunshot wound to the fucking yeah. head. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and I forgot to tell you the other example from that too. So, naturally, there's a decent amount of the population that, have neuromuscular disorders, you know, like ALS or MS yeah. or, you know, that, yeah, of that, re that require 24-7 ventilation to survive stuff. Well, right. I actually worked with one person who told me that um, someone they knew, I don't know, I can't remember if it was a family relative or whatever the case was, someone that they knew had decided that they did not want to live anymore. You know, I mean, after a while of deteriorating that much, I can completely understand wanting to die with some dignity. You know what I mean? Like, which is another whole sure. risque topic in and of itself too, you know, but 
Right. You know, I mean, if you're bedridden 24-7, relying on a ventilator to survive, I think that you kind of have earned the right to kind of call your own shots whenever it's time that you decide you want to go, you know? Absolutely. My personal opinion. But anyway, this person decided that they wanted to go. <laughs> um, they apparently could move around just enough to where they could disconnect themselves from the vent. Well, apparently they decided to do this one evening and basically let himself go. And um, they still ended up testing him <laughs> for COVID. And lo and behold, oh my God, lo and behold, he was positive as well. And, um, and, and so it was a COVID death, it not was, the fact that this dude it, wanted to off himself. <laughs> um, so, oh man, God, that's fucking so, it, it's so backwards. It should be criminal. There should be people in fucking jail because of this, uh, the, this mass deception. Yeah. But to bring it up, you're fucking crazy. Yeah. You're you're an outcast for even pointing it out. It it doesn't matter that the truth is on your side. You can show people evidence. Uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with this guy, Yuri Bezmanov, Mm-mm. but he had a whole video where he was talking about ideological subversion. He was a former propagandist for the KGB, and he fled to America in the 80s because he was sick of the, the communist lifestyle, and he wanted to alert people to how communist propaganda works and he has some great talks i'll have to send them to you after we get off this podcast but he talks about ideological subversion and through years and years of conditioning people one of the things he talked about was you will get it to a point to where you can show someone evidence you can show them photographs you can show them letters you can show them videos recordings it doesn't matter. They will not listen to you because they have their minds so made up and they are so closed-minded to any new information getting into their head. This is where we're at. This is, uh, you know, where we're at right now was not just by happenstance. It didn't happen just all of a sudden. This has been building up for decades. This kind of uh, Orwellian doublethink and cognitive dissonance and people, quote, trusting the experts or quote listening to the scientists or trusting in government or big pharma this is all mapping on perfectly to plans that have been set up for years and years and years and unfortunately people are just way too happy to drink the kool-aid yeah um yeah you're not gonna get any argument from me whatsoever on um (laughs) (laughs) you know i mean you're you're really not and I really wish that I could. Like I said, I want to be wrong about a lot of this, but unfortunately, I mean, I've seen what I've seen. I've heard what I've heard. You know, I, you know, it's, it's just, it sucks. It blows, you know, I mean, it's very unfortunate. And, you know, I just, uh, I felt like I had to sacrifice at least a year of my life traveling and working at most times away from my family because of these circumstances that were created by, you know, factors and people that were a hundred percent out of my control to do anything about. And this is just me. I feel even worse and more sorry for the people that didn't have any options to go to. And, you know, 
uh, people like you and all my musician buddies and stuff that were cheated out of basically a, a year's work and, and income. Even more than that. We're over a year yeah. now, and there's yeah. no talks of touring happening. Yeah, yeah. No, you're, uh, you're right. It's hard to remember sometimes that we're actually almost into May now. But, I mean, I just feel fortunate enough that at least I was able to have the option to still do something that provided you know, for me and my family. And in a lot of ways, I, I, you know, I feel bad about even complaining because of that. But at the same time, I just feel like it was completely unnecessary, you know, in a lot of ways. Yeah. That's not a complaint. That's an observation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it just, like I said, it just sucks. There's not really any way else better to put it. it. It just sucks. And, you know, I wish that things had gone differently, but they didn't. And, and that's the biggest tragedy of all of this is what are we going to be able to do to do anything about it you know i mean like what what can we really do about it like there's the the system is what it is to the point where it's just like yeah you can talk about it as much as you want i mean we can talk about this till we're blue in the face but what power do we really have to facilitate much of really any change with the way the system has has gone peaceful non-compliance would be a good start i mean that's something that martin luther king would probably be all into is to not comply with this. No different than Rosa Parks refusing to sit at the back of the bus. You know, maybe it starts with with bigger groups of people all coming together and saying, "Fuck you, we're not going to wear a mask." Yeah, but but then again, then the question of uh, private businesses being able to run their establishment as they wish turns into a real thing. And for whatever reason, the idea of wearing a face mask doesn't fall under the umbrella of civil liberties. You know, the ACLU doesn't give a shit about you have to wear a mask. Right. You know, shut up and suck it up. It's really interesting how uh, just our whole culture has been squeezed. It's been completely squeezed and a lot of the life has been squeezed out of it. And it seems like that grip is not getting much looser. It is in small ways, you know, by people like you and I being able to talk about this stuff openly and freely. That's a good way to push back on that squeeze. But... It's not enough. I agree with you there. It's going to take something much bigger. But unfortunately, I, I feel like the, the biggest people that pull the levers of power want this thing to keep going the way it is because they're, they're laughing all the way to the bank from this whole thing. Yeah, and um, unfortunately, I, I agree with you in that, you know, everything pretty much that you just said. But <laughs> the irony is, is, think back to the conversation that we had back in like January. You know, when we were talking about the uh, the storming of the Capitol or the the protesting and and during you know in the Capitol, like the sad reality right. is that it's going to take something like that again with a much more f- focused effort, probably, and a lot more collaboration and organization behind it <laughs> to really enforce any kind of change. I mean, that's the sad reality, yeah. and the sad truth is that. They've conditioned people to to just think about how different these times are compared to, you know, say a, a Martin Luther King or a Rosa Parks esque era, you know, in which it's the same thing, dude. Yeah, <laughs> I know, but I mean, it's it's like I said, I mean, it's people have just been so conditioned to basically just be like, well, I mean, the only the only way I can really do this is just vote for for who I want, you know, think is gonna you know, whatever. And then that's the only thing I can really do or whatever. And like, nobody really knows what they can really do to facilitate, you know, any kind of real change. That's, it's unfortunate, but 
the first thing that we can do is to um, do our own research, think critically, and try to encourage others to do the same. That's the first step, I think, towards waking up is getting the uh, the sleep out of your eyes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that the mass thing, unfortunately, though, is, is going to be here to stay to whatever degree. I think end of May, early June is going to be your biggest litmus test for just how far it's gotten with all that because, like, I know multiple people that have local businesses, particularly restaurants, and um, a few of them have basically straight up said, look, the the mandate's been lifted it's te- it's been lifted here technically, but people are still requiring masks because of local ordinances and stuff. But they were just like, look, people have till May. And the justification that we're using basically is, look, the, the vaccine will have been readily available to pretty much everyone by May. If you don't get it, choose not to get it, that's your damn problem. Sorry, but much past May, we're not requiring our employees or anybody to wear these in here anymore. And the whole thing is right. a damn charade anyway, because the minute you come in and sit down and allow people to take the damn things off is proof positive right there that all that shit is just a big, is just a big pile of garbage. It's, it's all bullshit. Yeah, absolutely. It's all theater. Same with the airplane. Yep. You got to be six feet apart and have your mask on. But as soon as you get on the airplane, every seat is taken up. You're, you guys are touching shoulders literally, and then it's okay for you to take your mask off to eat and drink. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you might as well just not even wear them. You know, I mean, period. And, and <laughs> exactly. And, and, anybody, and, and anybody that can't see that logic, I, I'm sorry. I don't know what I can do for you. You know, I, I don't know. Right. I don't know what can be done for you if you can't understand that simple logic. Like, if you still want, yeah, the whole, the whole, yeah. Go ahead. No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm done. I'm done with my thought there. Well, I was just gonna say, man, the whole mask thing has just given people an excuse to virtue signal with one another and say, like, you know, look at me, I wear a mask and you don't, so fuck you. It's given people this uh, like superiority complex because I'm wearing a mask, so I'm a good person, and you're not wearing a mask, so you're a piece of shit. It's just created yet another thing that adds to the divide and conquer tactics that have been employed in this country to to make us weaker from the inside for a long time. It, it is funny that it even comes down to things like that. You know, even the, we're we're divided even on masks, on mask wearing. Mm-hmm. There, there's division there within our culture. There's so many ways in our society that, by design, divide us. Yeah. No, I, I completely agree. Once again, I mean, I, I wish it wasn't true, <laughs> but any, yeah. anybody, yeah, any, you and me both. Yeah. Any, I mean, anybody that can look at anything objectively at all, you, you should have at least enough natural skills of, of deduction to be able to tell yourself that <laughs> this isn't adding up. Like one of these things is not like the other, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. And, yeah. I mean, I don't know, but at any rate, what, um, I mean, out of curiosity, then what, what would one of your other couple questions that I might be able to possibly answer in a convoluted way? <laughs> well, we actually went over pretty much everything that I had except for one thing. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of talk about vaccinations and vaccination passports and stuff like that. And we touched on the vaccine a little bit, but I am of the opinion that there is not enough long-term data to support the idea that I should get the vaccine. 
a lot of people are saying like, you know, fuck you and get the vaccine. It's safe. Like if you don't get it, you're a piece of shit. But I'm on the fence saying there's not enough information yet. There's not enough long-term data. There's no long-term research on this yet. So I'm just going to sit back and watch what happens because I'm not in a rush. There's no touring that's going to start next month if I get the vaccine. Mm -hmm. So my whole thing is just none of them are FDA approved. They've only been approved under emergency use terminology. They're not FDA approved and they were rushed out faster than any vaccines in the history of mankind. So I'm very skeptical and not in a rush to get them. I understand you feel that same way, but my biggest point with that is there's not enough long-term data of what happens with side effects. We don't know what's going to happen with side effects a year out, two years out, five years out. We don't know. Do you have anything to say on the the safety or long-term effects of the COVID vaccines? I mean, honestly, not particularly, except that once again, I have two forms of kind of pro and con point of view of logic on, on my thoughts on this whole take of the possibility of a vaccine passport, which honestly, there's been enough blowback due to that, that I don't think that at this point they can justify doing it. If they do, man, all hell will break loose because people will not stand for that. Yeah, well, I hope so. Just like, you know, if I, I there's a part of me that almost really hopes that they really do try and take guns away. Not because I'm anti-gun, far from it. I, I'm very pro-gun ownership. I own guns, you know, but because that might sure. be the ultimate trigger to piss people off enough to finally band together on a topic to be like, fuck this, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I don't, I don't think they'll ever try to come and round up the guns until they have robots to do it. Because yeah. the cops are not going to want to go fucking send people over to your place to take all your guns away because there's going to be some dead cops. Um, the only other way it could happen uh, other than with robots, and this has been talked about by quote unquote conspiracy theorists for many years, is that the other way they would do it is not with the use of military force from the U.S. or from police officers, but that the UN, UN yeah. would come into America and start rounding up your guns. Yep, I've, I've, because I've they have too. no allegiance to Americans. Yeah, they have no allegiance to Americans. They would have no problem killing Americans. Yeah. So that is the theory. I don't know if I necessarily believe that, but it's not incredibly far-fetched. No, Crazier no. things have happened, as we can see. Yeah, well, I mean, and my thought on that... Uh, and we're not even going down the gun rabbit hole at all either, is that, well, I mean, the U.S. citizenship is also what makes up your military. So, I mean, the the fact that, you know, they're going to have to come and try and take guns away from law-abiding U.S. citizens who also make up our military, I, I don't really see that happening either. But all that being said... Good luck, yeah. yeah good luck. But, but all that being said <laughs> <laughs> is, uh, so... Here's here's where the hypocrisy in my point of view with the whole COVID vaccine thing is, is that if you can't require people legally, if you can't force them necessarily to get even the MMR or basic vaccines that are given to every infant at birth, pretty much, you can't restrict necessarily people from, you know, doing things if they don't get the COVID vaccine either. Or if you do, then you need to go back and force all the anti-vaxxers to get vaccinated and their kids vaccinated for the diseases that we do know 
have been very detrimental to human society <laughs> for a very long time. Sure. So that's that's where my logic takes me there. I don't think that they're going to be able to get around that personally. Now, all that being said, you know, the other point of view on that is well, I mean, technically if you don't have a vaccination record, and technically you can't send your kids to public school. So, technically they can keep people from flying in and out of other countries, you know, also if they don't have it. Well, and also if you go to certain third world countries or other parts of the world, you have to have a vaccination record already showing that you have this this and this vaccine and you have to get boosters and stuff to even go to other parts yeah. of the world already. So to me, it's not so far-fetched either that they could require the COVID vaccine to be one of those vaccines, being as they already have policies in place to where you have to get certain vaccinations to travel to other parts of the world as it is already. Right. So the difference being the the vaccine passports that are being discussed right now are digital, and it'll have your medical records all accessible, not only by governments, but by private corporations. So who's to say that they're not going to pass those things around like baseball cards, like they do with emails and phone numbers and addresses, you know, that's where the real concern comes in. And especially because it's digital, eventually they get that fucking vaccine passport and all your medical records tied in with your bank account, your cryptocurrencies, your email, your address, your social media, like all this stuff, all of it can get linked to that digital passport. That's incredibly dangerous and uh, a complete violation of your Fourth Amendment rights to your personal effects. Well, sure, and it's also... Your privacy. Yeah, for sure, and it's also a, a direct... That would be a direct violation, too, of, uh, of HIPAA also, like the HIPAA laws, you know, for, yes. your, for your health information privacy, you know, act. And all. Yes. I mean, that, that's a direct violation against that, too. So, once again, I think a lot of that has to just be purely speculation, this, because, I mean, they can't... Legally, they really can't get around, like, that kind of information you really can't make available to those kind of entities, I mean, without breaking so many federal laws. But here's the thing. Here's how they'll get around it, though, I think, John, because they won't have to, in a snaky way, they won't have to, like, get that information, your healthcare information, and give it illegally to other entities. The person will willingly give it up. And the person will willingly say, yes, I, I allow for everybody to look at this. <laughs> so basically you're saying that they're going to make people enact the real-life version of the human Cinepad episode of South Park, where you agree to the yes. terms and conditions without reading them. And That's exactly what people are doing <laughs> with this vaccine. I mean, when, when you get that vaccination, you forfeit all of your rights to hold the vaccine companies liable if you should be injured or die or become sterilized from it, you can't do anything. Right. They are immune from you coming after them. Yep. So why wouldn't they write it into the, the terms of use for you that, that uh, you basically get fucked over? Well, and if that, if that truly is where that is going to go eventually, if they try to do that, then I, yeah, I can't see that ever flying. Not in that way, anyway. Like you said, I mean, stranger things could and have happened, I guess, but yeah, I don't know. It's really hard to envision that going off without any kind of hitch whatsoever. 
Oh, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not saying it would it would go on without a hitch, but there's definitely people that are excited and they would love for there to be a vaccine passport because then they know that everyone on the airplane is vaccinated and everywhere they go, everyone is vaccinated just like them. And you create this two tiered society with the haves and have nots when it comes to their medical records. Yeah. Yeah. I, I that's that's something that I hadn't even thought of, to be honest. It's a very valid concern. Uh <laughs> It's it's something I'm paying attention to. I'm not worried about it, mm-hmm. you know? Right. I'm not losing sleep over it. I'm not worried. I'm not afraid. I'm not buying into a fear campaign. But it's something I'm aware of, and I'm keeping my eyes open for. Yeah. That, that's that's all, you know? No, I, I completely agree, and, and that's... You're very... Uh, <laughs> you're very well within your your rights to do so. And that's probably pretty smart. Now that you mentioned it, it's something that I'm definitely going to keep an eye on too, because (laughs) I, I, (laughs) that, that will go over like a turn to punch bowl if they try that legitimately, but we'll, we'll see what happens. Biden's already talking about it. Yeah. Well, Biden's already talking about implementing a federal vaccine passport system. And there's also already things that he's talked about, too, that, you know, <laughs> I was just like, you know, asking how much is, is going to cost to finish the wall, for example. I mean, like, how long do you really think that people are really going to give much validity to, to him and take him seriously? It's it's whatever, but we'll see what happens with that. But, yep, I'm uh, I'm sitting here kicking back and ready to enjoy the circus for sure. For sure. Well, I mean, is there anything? Uh, is there anything actually that you might want to kind of talk about or discuss or broach on that uh, that actually might be fun to like <laughs> for, for 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 the average person as far as just like you know other other stuff that's been going on that um, you know that. Well, I'd like to leave it on a high note, sure, instead of on this dystopian nightmare <laughs> situation. Yeah. So. You know, I got to go here in a minute, but I would love to wrap this thing up on a positive note. And to do that, I'd like to just ask you again, you know, there are a lot of people listening to this that are afraid of COVID. There's a lot of people listening to this that aren't afraid of COVID. You know, what what do you recommend people do to, to keep their physical health and their mental health in a good state moving forward into the second year of this, this COVID nonsense? Live your life, man. Live your life. Um you know, yeah. you know, I mean, there's, I wish I could be a little less obtuse, uh, but really, I mean, that's why I've been telling people since the beginning of all this, like your options were limited initially and it just is what it is as far as that goes. But don't let anybody tell you how you should or shouldn't be living your life over all of this because, you know, I've worked in this long enough now and my career is, is even young compared to other people's careers. But I mean, like, I mean, take H1N1, for example, you remember back when H1N1 was a thing. Most people are probably, like, yeah, the swine. Exactly. Flu. Yeah. It was during the Obama administration. I think around, you know, that 2008 to 2011 ish, you know, period or whatever. Yeah. I mean, look, just to give people a perspective. I mean, whenever I was working in the NICU and, attending tons of deliveries and C-sections and stuff. Do you remember anybody requiring any mask mandates or anything like that for H1N1? Absolutely not. Me either. You know who was affected most by that virus 
in a lot of ways was pregnant women. There were mm. tons of pregnant women that were dying while pregnant from H1N1. Nothing was done. And guess what? The world still went round and round. It was very tragic. I attended at least one or two that I can remember C-sections where mom was dead on the vent pretty much and they were keeping her alive till they could get baby to term, deliver the baby, and as soon as they delivered the baby, they let mom go. You know, mom, mom never got to see her baby, you know, and, and dad was, was left just dad and the baby and very tragic shit. I guess what I'm trying to say is I'm not trying to detract from anybody's tragedies, but you can't let people's tragedies dictate how you're going to live your life and do what you want to do. Be as healthy as you can or be as healthy as you don't want to be also. I mean, do whatever the hell you want. I mean, like as long as you're not infringing on the rights of others, I'm all about it. Exactly. I mean, have a double decker fudge round for me, you know, if you want, um, you know, (laughs) you know, drink, drink a damn beer, you know, if you want, whatever, we're all going to die of something someday, period. And, uh, don't let all of this, what's going on affect how you're living now as much as possible. Every place that I've had to work away from my family this past year, I've tried to make the most of it. I've tried to do these podcasts. I've tried to do my falconry stuff if possible. I've tried to do all these things around the circumstances and the cards that we've been dealt. And you all should do the same. You know, I'm not telling you to be stupid, <laughs> but I'm also not telling you to be afraid every minute of every day or bummed or depressed. And I'm not saying you don't have a right to be, but you're not going to gain anything by continuing to just be afraid or taking the victim narrative. There's nothing to gain from that road. Yeah, I, I agree. None. There's a lot to be gained from the uh, the road that leads toward personal freedom, personal responsibility. Yeah, yeah, and, and being productive and about anything right now is still mostly your choice. So, you know, if you yep. if you can, amen. Yeah, if you can, uh, make continue to make the most of it and be as productive as you can. I'm the type of individual personally that if I don't stay productive doing something or if I don't stay occupied and I don't stay proactive, I get depressed. It doesn't take a pandemic to make me depressed. Right. You know, it, it takes a large period of being inactive. And um, I know my morale increases exponentially if I'm creating something with other people, whether it be podcasts, music, or any of that kind of stuff. Or if I get up, you know, absolutely having fly my birds or whatever the case is. And so just live your life, man. I mean, like you want to take that trip, go take that trip. You know, if, if where you're going, they'll let you, you know, I mean, go, go do it. <laughs> I mean, like the long and short of it is we got to play the cards we've been dealt. Yep. We got to do the best with what we've been handed and we've been handed a, a, a shit sandwich, yeah. but there's still some bread there that's edible. So sure. Exactly. And, and even if it's just crumbs, you know, take the crumbs, man. You know, like take the crumbs and savor them. Yeah. yeah, man. Life is way too short. Life is super short. So have as much fun as you can while you're here. Indeed. Love the people that you do. Hang out with them while you can. Hit them up. Call your mom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's sad. And I would be interested to know the the overall statistics of, you know, how many people have 
ultimately, you know, you never hear one mention whatsoever of how the mental health impact of all this has affected people. I would, I would almost, oh no, yeah, I, I would almost guarantee you that the number of people that have committed suicide or suffered ill, yeah, I mean, like, the way up. astronomical, way up. astronomical, and yes, you'll never see yeah, those absolutely. those figures because you know. <laughs> It doesn't help the narrative. It doesn't help the vaccine salesman. Right. And I'm sorry, but those people's lives aren't necessarily any more or less important than your grandma's or yours or mine or anybody's. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. We're all going to go sometime. It's unfortunate that some of us uh, are going because of this COVID thing. But, you know, new viruses, new uh, diseases, they show up every once in a while and, and they do their thing. But... We've never in our lifetime locked everything down and uh, dismantled the majority of small businesses in our country and, and disrupted the economy on such a grand scale for something like this. It's really unprecedented, and, and I, like, I like the notion of trying to remain vigilant and trying to be positive because there's still a lot of beautiful things in the world. We're still incredibly lucky to be alive right now. Yes, some of this stuff really sucks, but look at the bright side. You got a supercomputer in your pocket. You got the internet. You can learn about anything you want for free. You don't have to go to college. Um, you know, we, we all have air-conditioned steel chariots that we get to control. <laughs> like We live in an amazing time uh, where we have so many comforts and, and we eat better than most kings and emperors and czars throughout history, so... Gratitude equals happiness, and I think we have a lot to be grateful for today, but that doesn't mean that we should just close our eyes and ears and, and stop paying attention to, to what's going on. Yeah, totally agreed. Totally agreed. And yeah, I mean, you know, as <laughs> you always do the, uh, you know, the thing at the end of your podcast, too, where this more or less is tying in with that overall, you know, piece of advice thing that, you know, you, you have or, yeah. or, or, or a wise thought or whatever, but Mm -hmm. You know, my dad used to tell me something growing up all the time, and it was half joking, but you always know that there's a little bit of seriousness in some of it is that he always used to just tell me, okay. he always used to just tell me, you know, like, you know, life sucks and then you die and in a hundred years, nobody would give a shit, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, you know, you, you might as well just enjoy yourself and live it up as much as you can. Yes. It doesn't suck all the time. Uh, as you say, often also, I mean, a lot of the negativity and stuff is created by yourself. So, I mean, if your mindset sucks, then you probably suck in a lot of ways. But, you know, everybody has <laughs> everybody has their ups and downs. But, you know... For sure. They're, they're, you just try to have more ups than downs. Exactly. But there is a lot of truth in that life in a lot of ways does suck. But you just have to make the most of the good things. And, you know, you're not going to accomplish anything that you ever want to accomplish by sitting around and doing nothing. And whether that's because someone tells you you're in a pandemic or not, that's going to remain true forever and ever. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I love it. I think that's a great way to end this thing. Yeah. Awesome, man. Yeah. I, this is a, honestly the longest podcast I've ever done. We're a little over two hours now. It's kind of nuts. Wow. Yeah. yeah. This is a pretty bulky one, but I think it's very important and uh, I'm very excited for people to hear it. Thanks a lot for being so open and just candid with some of my questions because I know some of this shit is taboo, taboo and kind of <laughs> sketchy territory. 
Yeah, I really appreciate that. Yeah, I know. I mean, and like I said at the very beginning, these are things that I have seen and heard from people that I know personally or witnessed with my own eyes, heard with my own ears. And, you know, everybody that's listening, once again, you can believe what you want. I can't control how you think or feel. But what I can tell you is that a lot of what you've been told this last year ain't exactly accurate. <laughs> you know, uh, there's a lot of things that unfortunately, uh, you know, have been manipulated and skewed. And um, I wish that it wasn't like that. But at the same time, once again, not trying to diminish anybody else's personal experiences. Everybody's experiences and the severity thereof are going to be completely subjective in a lot of ways. And I feel for mm -hmm. all of you out there who have suffered from all of it, whether or not you lost somebody close or lost your job, whatever. I mean, I feel for you. I, I really do. I mean, I've seen quite a few people die this past year as well. And, and uh, I, I had it myself and, you know, I kind of got screwed out of, out of a decent amount of money to some degree over having it for a bit. And, uh, and, you know, I've, I've been screwed out of a lot of experiences this past year with my family because of these circumstances. So, I mean, I, I feel for you all and, and hope that, uh, it gets better for you if you have suffered. And I don't really know what else to say other than that. I think you gave people some really good information that will help them wrap their head around how things have been skewed and how they've been misinformed. Yeah. I think there's some really, really big revelations that you were able to shed light on in this interview. I think it's a really important interview, and I think it's going to help a lot of people be less scared and, and maybe see a little bit more light in the world. Yeah, I mean, basically all I'm saying is don't disbelieve everything you hear. I mean, and see in the media. I mean, it's not it's not all accurate, and you need to think for yourself. Like David said, you need to think for yourself and be vigilant about things. And uh, anyway, yeah. So, yeah, brother. I mean, it's been it's been fun. You know, I, like I said, I uh, I hope that I was clear enough on a lot of that stuff. I mean, without getting too too much into medical jive and terminology and all that kind of stuff. You know, like I said, no, you were very concise and clear and I really appreciate it. And I learned a lot too. And uh, man, the, the cases thing really blew my mind. That's, that's news to me. I was pissed whenever I found that out, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I, no, I, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty blown away and shocked by that. Yeah. I don't know how it's been legal either, you know, to, basically be that purposely misleading but once again it's all terminology based because i mean they're technically not lying there really are that many cases but it just right. all depends on what you really know the definition of the word case to be you know so sure but anyway yeah man um anytime pretty much about anything for the most part i try to be an open book man if you ever want to discuss anything else yeah there's some other shit i know we could get into one of these days and we'll have to <laughs> we'll have to jump in there but yeah, man, I, I appreciate you doing the Swapcast a lot. Yeah, and I'll just say um, awesome, and thanks for taking two hours to, to hang out again, man. It's always cool. Oh, right back at you. Thank you for taking the time. All right, man. Right on. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. If you made it this far, I really appreciate your attention. And feel free to go back, take notes, write things down, or share sound bites with your friends and family. I will be cutting up parts of this episode to be able to put on my YouTube channel. 
Subscribe to that if you haven't already. But there will be clips of this episode on there to increase the shareability and the access to the really crucial information that was expressed on this episode. If you liked what you heard, please share it far and wide. And if you want to support beyond just listening and sharing, go to riftsordie.com and pick up some merch or subscribe on patreon.com slash riftsordie. The next episode will probably be just me solo reading some of your emails and catching you up on what is going on in my world. Feel free to reach out at podcast at riftsordie.com. Thanks a lot for your support. You guys are awesome. I really appreciate the support and your attention, especially with such daunting topics like what we just covered in this one. So as John said, go out there and live your life. We got to make the best of the hand that we're dealt, man. Have a good time all the time. The choice is yours. I'll be in touch with you all next week. Until then, take care of each other and take care of yourself. I'll talk to you soon, my brothers and sisters. Adios. (laughs) 